If I could take as just one simple text for my reflections to close out this series, it would be 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I want to leave you today with four key ideas that flow out of that great affirmation of the Apostle Paul. And I'd like to do so not only because body life is one of the great themes of the New Testament, but even more importantly because understanding this theme is essential to appreciating the awesome goodness and genius of the life to which God makes possible through the power of His Holy Spirit. The first two ideas I want to touch on today have to do with the incredible unity of the body of Christ. And then the second two have to do with the diversity present in the body of Christ. And to talk about the unity part, it helps to use a simple physical analogy that will be readily available to your own eyes if you look around you. Gaze around you at others who are worshiping here today, and unless there is a medical miracle in our midst, I'm going to guess that the person sitting nearest to you right now and pretty much everybody else in the room it consists, has a physical body that consists of two major components. There's a head and there's a torso. Any exceptions out there that you can see? Good. Now, except for brief periods during adolescence and certain midlife crises, the torso takes its instructions from the head. The head is the command center of the human body. It keeps all of the organs and the limbs and the systems that are embedded in or which are attached to the torso coordinated and serving the purposes uh, managed by the head. Even when the heart or the leg appears to be acting entirely on its own, it isn't. It is actually being moved and managed by the head. The torso, on the other hand, is the largest part of this entity. It's the most visible part. It's the portion that actually works out the purposes of the head. It's the function of the torso. I want you to hold on to that image, if you would, because it's really critical to understanding what Paul is trying to get at here. Just as a physical body is, like this, so it is with the spiritual body of Christ. Paul teaches. So the very first idea that I want to impart to you today is that to be the body of Christ means that you are a part of a community led by a head, led by an ultimate head. At the point of your conversion or your confession of faith, you said, in effect, look, I know I could live my life by my own set of rules. I know I could run everything on the basis of my own instincts, but I'm choosing not to do that anymore. As smart as I may be, and a lot of us in this room are pretty well-educated folks, I nonetheless believe that Christ has much greater wisdom than I have. Therefore, I'm going to seek the direction of his word and his spirit from now on. I'm going to seek to let Jesus be the head of my life the one from whom I take instructions, the one I allow to manage my life. This is what it means to have him as our Lord. What's fascinating is that the moment that you made that particular decision to allow Christ to be your head, 
that individual commitment you made also introduced you to an experience of human community that is found in no other place and and with no other power like the power of being part of the body of Christ. I love the way A.W. Tozer, a great theologian, Chicago man of an earlier century, put it. Has it ever occurred to you, he writes, that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one of them must individually bow. So, he writes, 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Are you getting this? There's much talk in our time about a desire to see us overcome what divides us, appropriately so. There's concern about all the conflicts raging in our culture and around the world. There's this wish that we could all just get along, as Rodney King once said. But our very greatest hope for actually closing the gap between each other, actually playing the same tune, getting into tune with one another, our greatest hope is by being tuned to the one great melody of God's, of grace and truth in the world. And it's in the process of fixing our eyes upon Jesus that we will find ourselves drawn to a closeness with one another that is possible in no other way. I don't know if you found this to be true in your own life. I, I, I found it again and again to be true in mine. You can put me in a room with nine of the guys I went to college with, and I'm going to be just fine because they look like me, they talk like me, they studied the stuff I studied, they dress like I do. We're going to just be, we're going to feel all kinds of commonality. You introduce into that room one follower of Jesus from Nairobi or from Beijing, right, or from Sao Paulo, and I am going to uh, feel a kinship with that individual on a whole other level. We may not look alike, we may not speak the same language, we may not have the same cultural background or experiences, but because we have the same head, my sense of kinship with that individual is going to be something far more profound. I think that this same principle translates to other areas of our life as well. Some of us come into this place today wishing that our our families were more connected, that our marriages were were more connected, that, that we were closer to, to, to this person or to, to, to that group in society. And I, I want to say to you that, that nothing will so strengthen the bonds between people in a family, in a friendship, in the life of a church, or anywhere else for that matter, as a common commitment to looking into the face of Jesus and submitting ourselves to the headship of Christ. Living in a world as we do right now that is so plagued by division and isolation, a world that just keeps trying to figure out a way to overcome all that separates us, this message of the Bible could not be more timely and vital. One of the most significant contributions that Christians can make in our culture today is to both model and share how genuine community can grow 
not by pursuing a political correctness, not by pursuing a mere cultural sensitivity, not by simply having more conversations with one another, though all of those things can help in some measure, but supremely by inviting all of us to look once again into the face of God, not the God of our political party, not the God of our convenience, not the God we learned about way back in Sunday school and and stopped learning about, but the God of the Bible the God who meets us in the face of Jesus Christ. Because as we see him and are hearing from him, he will draw us together as nothing else can. That's one glorious part of this idea of the unity of the body of Christ, this common headship. But there's a second remarkable dimension here too. Just as the body of Christ has in Jesus a spiritual head, that directs its ways, so also the church, uh, so also the body has in the church itself a spiritual uh, torso, in a sense. The church, if you think about it, is this awesome interconnected uh, organism. It's this amazing array of members that the head uses to move through the world now. Uh, to to act and touch and shape reality now. For as the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. What Paul's getting at here is that to be a member of the body of Christ means that you're part of this unique fellowship. It's a fellowship that is formed by the washing and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. When you surrendered your life to the control of God, to the headship of Christ, you were literally washed clean by his Holy Spirit. You received uh, a, a spiritual chemotherapy for sin, really, is how it worked. You and everyone around you who, who opened themselves up to God in that way suddenly became, in the sight of God, cured of humanity's fundamental disease. Our fundamental problem in this world today is that we live only for self. That, 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 that we become fearful and prideful and separated from God. And that separation from the one who is our head can't help but result in a disassembled body, in a disintegrated community of people. And so, in a, in a sense, the, the most important thing God has done for us is to cure us of that fundamental uh, sinful selfishness at the, at the deep spiritual level. Now, human eyes can't see that healing having taken place. We still see the stain of sin that appears on our lives, right? We see the superficial distance differences that, that separate us and segment us. But if we could see one another the way God sees us, if you could look around in this room or out of the body of believers in other places and see those individual members the way God sees us, we would weep for joy at the sheer beauty and the wonderful purity of the sight. We would greet each other, not with a polite, you know, coffee fellowship kind of nod, right? Not, not with just a sort of a common acknowledgement that, oh, yes, I guess we're all part of this one big church, but we would greet each other with all of the mutual delight and the gratitude and the overflowing joy that cancer survivors show in one another's company. Or the people showing up at a recovery meeting show in each other's company. 
Because we realize that for all of our differences, we're united by this one awesome reality that we have been baptized and redeemed. That the work of God has, has gone on in our lives and is going on in our lives. And this gives us an identity in ourselves and with one another like no other human category can. There's even more than that here, though, because Paul goes on to tell us that we were all given one spirit to drink. What this means is that for the vast majority of us, at the moment we became believers, there began to course through the very arteries of our soul, in a sense, the power of heaven itself. And before, we'd been living this kind of spiritually anemic life. Okay, we were relying on our own capacities alone. But now, the power of God is moving through us and gifting us with supernatural capacities to serve the purposes of the head, who is Jesus. Now, that brings us to talking about what the other side, uh, the other dimension of, of, the, of the body of Christ really means. Because as wonderful as the unity we have in Christ is, just as amazing are two insights that have to do with the diversity that exists within the body of Christ. In this regard, I, I, I appreciate the writing of a, a wonderful pastor of uh, an earlier era, uh, Northern California pastor by the name of Ray Stedman. And Stedman once suggested that there are two dangerous errors that, that Christians often fall into with respect to talking about Uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. The first, he says, is what we might call the myth of insignificance. Now, the myth of insignificance is is something you may deal with in your own life. It's this crazy notion that what you bring to the life of the body is far too small relative to the size of the body to be important. This is a disease that, that afflicts a lot of people in large churches. They think, oh, I'm just one little, I'm one little finger in the body, you know. I'm just one tiny little part. And I see so many people up there and up on the platform and uh, in some public setting. And they seem to be the ones that are doing the important things for the body of, of Christ. And I just, I'm just pretty much a spectator at this whole arrangement. But as the Apostle Paul reminds us, if the whole body were an eye... Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the various parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. For there are many parts, but one body. I hope you get this. I think this is a critical message, particularly for our church in this moment of its life. You are, you are desperately needed by the body because your spiritual gifts are not just like everybody else's, right? If all of our gifts were the same as, as one another's, we would be an organ, not an organism, okay? I mean, think about this. You're going to feel unimportant sometimes because you see many other members around you, but that's a little bit like the little finger thinking, oh, the body doesn't need me. It's got all these other fingers and this whole uh, form around it. Yet ask a concert uh, pianist how important the little finger is. Right? That tiny little finger, what, what does that finger do? 
that makes possible the great opus, the magnificent sound of the symphony. Even that little finger is so crucial. You are so immensely significant to the functioning of the body. And I don't think we've even begun to hear the full symphony yet. Because not enough of the parts of the body are using their gifts in response to the head for the purposes of the kingdom. I think this is also true of other people too. Um, this, this idea of just sort of not seeing the whole picture yet. I'm reminded of the, of the three individuals. I think there was a surgeon, there was an engineer, there was a government official who got into a debate one day about which of them had the job that really occupied the greatest honor. And, 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 um, and they got into this discussion. They were churchgoers, and, and one of them who knew the Bible quite well said, you know, go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning of the Bible, and you will find out that my giftedness really is the most important. I mean, right there in the book of Genesis, you know, we're, we're told how God took a rib out of Adam and made woman. That's a great creation. That took the work of a surgeon. The gifts of a surgeon are the most important. The engineer says, well, that's, that's true. That's a, that's a wonderful capacity that you have. But honestly, go back further in Genesis and that you'll see that in six days, the earth was created out of chaos. Why, that's obviously an engineering job. And the government official looked at them both with a, a gaze of scorn on his face. And he says, yes, but who do you think created all the chaos? If the myth of insignificance is one of the greatest dangers confronting us in the application of our gifts, the myth of over-significance is every bit as dangerous. Many of us buy into this lie that the way we've been gifted is the most important in the life of the body. It's the top of the pecking order. That, that, that God uh, should give my gift even more prominence. But this is the fourth and last point I want to make today. To be a member of the body of Christ means I am deeply dependent upon and profoundly appreciative of others in the body and their giftedness. This is what the Apostle Paul's getting at when he says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In a memorable way, I, I, I got a handle on this truth when I was studying this passage many years ago in seminary through some current events. Uh, Ronald Reagan was shot, and, um, and I remember just the uh, terrible chaos that reigned in the uh, news at that particular moment as our, uh, our president uh, was uh, disabled, and there was great concern, how would we ever get by without our president, even for a single week? And the news media was stirring up all of America with anxiety about this reality. And there was a lot of fighting going on. You may remember Alexander Haig and others who were struggling over who was actually in control, right? That just seemed just like, like the most cataclysmic chaos that was going on. At the very same time, the New York garbage collectors went out on strike. Which event do you think created the greatest chaos in actuality? You got it. It, it was the absence of those garbage collectors you know, using their capacities that had the greatest uh, turmoil-creating effect uh, on, on the society. This, the same is probably true in the church. 
I mean, you would be just fine without me up here. Honestly. But if the folks that bring the donuts don't show up, or, or set out the coffee, or, or take care of the kids while we're here, you know, down in the basement, if they don't do their work, no symphony, folks. No symphony. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, Paul supplies us with this list of different kinds of uh, serving roles. And, and a lot of people have looked at that list over the years and heard about the apostles and the prophets and the whole catalog of them. And they basically assume that's a hierarchy. And so you, you start studying, where am I on the list? Where do I rank in terms of my importance? And I'm a teacher and I'm thinking, oh, that's really great. I'm up there at number three or something, right? But, but that's an entirely wrong reading of the text. This is not a hierarchy of gifts. This is simply a catalog of the order in which God gave the gifts. The, the, the way in terms of, it's a chronological accounting of the way the gifts unfolded in the life of the early church. Paul teaches in actuality that if there's to be any disparity, unevenness, in the amount of honor that is accorded to particular gifts, then it's the less publicly acclaimed ones we should be celebrating. Okay? So, so remember that when you see the person pouring the coffee and bringing, carrying stuff out. It's the less publicly acclaimed ones, such as helping or giving or faithfully praying. Do you know that, that right underneath this sanctuary right now, there are people praying for us? And every worship service at Christ Church is being prayed for by faithful servants who completely go under the radar screen. It's these less celebrated gifts that merit the greater recognition, Paul tells us. People with those kinds of gifts are the secret sinew of the body of Christ. A pastor I know tells of a time when uh, he uh, injured himself and, um, and just one part of his physical body was hurt. But he says that the whole rest of his body were so concerned about that one part that it stayed up all night just to keep the hurt part company. You've had that happen to you, perhaps. I know it myself, back problems, one tiny little disc, getting the full attention of the entire body uh, all night long. That's the way it's supposed to be, actually. That is the way God says it's meant to be in the life of the body. The Apostle Paul says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part suffers rejoices with it. That is why what happened uh, in Charleston recently or, or what's happening with the persecuted church around the world isn't something that we just sort of nod at, shrug at, and go on with. It, it's why as followers of Jesus Christ, we see the events there through a totally different lens. That's our body that's suffering, okay? That's our body that is giving glory to God by the way they responded to their suffering. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. One part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Because as Christians, we're dependent upon and appreciative of others in the body. Our time is growing short, so let me just close us out here with just a final observation. Uh, many years ago, God brought into my life a um, remarkable Baptist pastor, actually from the Chicago area, and he came and found me when I was a pastor in San Diego, and he began to attend my church. His name was John Lavender. He was actually known to a couple of families in this church 
during the years that he'd been down at Morgan Park. But John had had an awakening in which he had come to understand the third person of the Trinity in a deeper measure. And he was the first person to really help me understand this amazing dimension of God's working, of his person and his work. And it's why, really almost in gratitude to John, that I've wanted to bring this series to you. Let me just close with what the Reverend Dr. John Lavender uh, wrote about the subject uh, of body life. Uh, I just really love these words. Through spiritual gifts, John writes, God works in an incredible number of ways to produce that beautiful product, which is Jesus ministering to the world through his body. Why then should we insist on just one standard brand of Christianity? Think about that. Why should we insist on that? You know, one particular way of worship, one particular way of organizing our, our Bible studies, one particular way of, of, of serving. Why should we insist on just one standard brand of Christianity, on the Holy Spirit manifesting himself to us or somebody else in a particular way? No, John says, study the Bible. Look at the world. God is a God of magnificent variety. Forbid that we should ever again insist on uniformity in our worship or service. Let's glory instead, he writes, in the incredibly broad and exciting spectrum of good which the Holy Spirit can produce in the life of the church. Let's praise God for our own uniqueness, for the part that we get to play right in the body ourselves. But let's also praise God for the uniqueness of our brothers and sisters. Let's praise him for the very differences we see and allow the diversity of gifts to affect how we relate to one another. You see, God has made us in such a way that our highest joy is not found by functioning in isolation or by insisting that everybody else respond to life exactly as we do. Let me pause there and say, if there's any people by their theology and biblical authority that should be equipped to deal with a diverse world, a world in which there are many tribes and many tongues and many ways of looking at lots of things, if there's any people that should understand that God could be at work in that, and and that there could be value in that range, if there's any people, it would be us. John goes on and says, rather, our highest joy comes from learning how to relate to and support each other, how to give accent, significance, and distinction to each reflection of God's working. For when we look at each other through God's eyes, when we look at each other in the body through God's eyes, we will see the face of Jesus. We will see some aspect of the head's leading, of the head's activity. And we will know that every Christian, in ways that are right for him or her, is involved in the task of helping us to be to the world what Jesus Christ would be in the flesh. And beloved, And that is what you are, who you are. You are the beloved. By the very presence, the very advocacy, by the very powerful gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in the body, Jesus 
is here. The head is acting now in the world today and wills to act through the glory that is his body. This is the good news of which we are a part. And to God be the glory in the church and for the sake of its mission in the world.